So no truer words have ever been spoken in human history than the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> I like to say that I'm an exception to this rule, that I don't get a little misty-eyed when I see a nice-looking Prio come my way, but that'd be a lie, you see. My family came to this country dirt poor. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is I Am Big Poetry Podcast. Yay! I am, and I got the guest here. I am here with my man, my slam partner, my dynamic duo. I am, he is my boy one. I am the bad man. Yes, it is. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I can't you did that to me. Shout outs to my boy. Give it up. To my boy Marvin Dayon. Hey man, how you been? <laughs> what up? How's it going? Boy Wonder, huh? The boy wonder. You are the boy wonder. I'm I'm your So partner. you're essentially saying I get kidnapped a lot. I'm just I'm that quirky sidekick you who's know, you essentially know useless. Things happen to you and I'm the one that has to back you up. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, that's typically pretty true. <laughs> Oakland is a pretty good summary of that. <laughs> So I, I look at that like, yeah, I am that I am that Batman when I come up. What's going on here, people? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm gonna give you that. But no, man. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to talk to you and discuss you. Well, because I know you just did a um a feature over um at um Sac- Sacramento Poetry Center's um Zoom Center um, Zoom meeting. Uh, the social distance first. Yep. Yep. Socially uh, distance uh, feature. And yep. It's been like my first feature in like a long while. I want to say I was kind of going on like a brief years? hiatus. Nah, I don't years? want to say like it was like three year hiatus, maybe a three year years? and a half. I was okay. Uh, nine, year and a half. I was pop. Yeah. I was popping up every now and then, but I was kind of like going through my own little mental state. So yeah. <laughs> took a brief hiatus, but I want to say like, that was like my good, the SPC feature was like my good return back or my soft opening of returning back per se. Yeah. Not, not in, not in SPC, but on the line. <laughs> yeah. Online. My bad. My bad. Like given the no. times, no, don't worry guys. No one was physically close to one another. It yeah. was a social distance feature. <laughs> We're all being safe here. No one's getting the Rona. Right. Even getting props and shout outs from Paul Laurie um, and Judify. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. cool. Like, uh, I haven't seen him in a while, too. So it was, like, definitely pretty cool to, like, have him give me props. And then, like, he brought up, like, it was, like, us going back in the intersection and everything. So it was really cool. Mm. So, speaking, so, we, I know we know each other for almost right now, almost two, two, even three years, almost three years now. It's a solid three years, yeah. Like, it's going on four, years. I think. Yeah, going, yeah, we're going for the fourth. Fourth? No. <laughs> but, no, man, I, I wanted to to get to know more about your about you know about your life and history even before the poetry thing kicked in and stuff. So why don't we just go down the line and just talk about yourself? See, I know I know you're you're from Oklahoma. Were you, were you yeah. there and stuff? 
No, no, no. I was born in Oklahoma City. Um, I don't remember too much of it because, like, we, or my parents at least, mm-hmm. we, they immigrated to the States. They were in Oklahoma City. According to my mom, they, my, it was just her and her immediate family members, right. her, her sisters and her in-laws. And it took my dad a year to, like, get to the U.S. because of whatever immigration laws at the time. Right. And then, then our whole family unit, aunts, uncles included, moved to California. Then we pretty much stayed in Fresno, where I grew up. Okay. Yeah. And so, so, so here's a question: What was the what was the thing that made your mom and your dad want to move to the to the United States from China? Quote unquote, it was better opportunities mm. and the quote unquote American dream, as they said it. Like okay. they don't. Uh, I, my guess is it's probably other stuff, but they don't like to like air out their emotions or like yeah. a lot of things. So I kind of, a lot of times have to piece it together, okay. but for the most, the gist of it, what any other parent wants when they immigrate to a first world country, I guess. I mean, not the saying that China is not a first world country, but mm-hmm. in their eyes, a better country for a better opportunity, essentially. And you said your mom was most of her, most of her family would out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the funny thing is, actually, my dad's family is actually down south in Oklahoma City nice. or the Oklahoma area. I don't know why they want to stay in the south <laughs> as an Asian. Like, literally speaking, as a Asians, I don't know why you will want to stay in the south. But that, whatever you want, you're happy in the red state. That's cool. But California, it's a lot better, even with our expensive ass housing. <laughs> no, so yeah, my whole family was there, like dad's side included, but. Okay. My dad, being the great husband that he is, decided that he would rather make my mom happy and be with her side of the family. Okay. Okay, so that's why he moved to Fresno and stuff. And yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So how was the Fresno lifestyle growing up? <laughs> it, man, it was, I want to say it was a little weird. Uh, okay. There, I mean, growing up where I grew up, there weren't, Many Chinese people. Okay. I mean, there were there were some, but not as many as you would think. I mean, it was Central Valley. We did have some Asian kids, but they were mostly Hmong. So I kind of grew up in this weird little limbo where either I hung out with the Asian kids, and then like I was too Asian to get along with other kids, or I hung out with non-Asians, and then I was too much of an outsider with the other Asian kids. Okay. So I kind of just went through my own little angsty limbo phase i guess okay okay and so was was um school school and stuff out there was it as much how how was schooling out there i mean did you deal like you said you deal with you either deal with both both ends of the spectrum or was it more the fact of you you know just trying to find yourself why you're why you're dealing with that you know just want to know that i'm i'm either side but i'm american you know what, what was the point for that Oh man, I don't know. Like, I don't think I ever really found myself in high school. To be honest oh, really? with you, you know, I, I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you here. Fresno was not a good place for me growing up. Like, I'm not oh. going to knock it. Like, <laughs> like I'm not going to knock it. My parents wanted a better options for me, and I'm not going to ever knock them on that choice. But like, I didn't get along with the Asian kids because, like, one, I just didn't like that being boxed in per se. Right. But then whenever I hung out with the other kids that were like vast majority were like white we because i listened to a lot of emo and punk right it was always asian jokes and it was kind of bullshit so 
there was that. Then I worked in my, like, and then like most of my childhood, I was working at my parents' restaurant. So, I mean, that already kind of like put me in my own little bubble of just some really powerful angst filled bullshit. Right. Right. So, so speaking of, speak, speaking of that, so you, your dad owned a restaurant. Did he own the, uh, he, did we he owned what? Oh, yeah, um, we owned that. multiple restaurants actually. Okay. So, I mean, funny you mentioned Merced, but, um, yeah, uh, we owned, I think maybe three, two, nice. I don't remember how many it's been. We, we've had a couple when I was growing up. I mean, because like, it was the only thing my dad knew how to do, which is funny because he's actually a really talented person. Like he's a ge- genius with any kind of mechanical device. Like he was like a mechanic in China and everything. Like, oh, nice. Yeah. Like he can, I'm willing to bet. Like if you gave him like a rundown car and the resources, he could probably like, bring it back to life but you know an immigrant and his main goal in life or number one option is to provide for his family and that make sure his kid is alive right. he's not going to take the time to learn english and like be in working a mechanic shop so you know he had restaurants and that was like the only thing he knew and like i'm forever grateful that was his thing and like he used that to like provide for me okay. and graduated high school in fresno and then my parents <laughs> for cheaper housing brought me to Merced and I don't know why I stayed there for two years, but I stayed there and then I came to SAC for college. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to go to some, was it Merced? Um, UC, UC Merced? Merced? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Like I, it was time for me. Like after like 20 some odd years of living with my parents and like being told what to do, I needed to get away from them as far as I could <laughs> without being completely too far away right. and make sure like they were provided for right. with when they ever had anything they needed from me. Okay. That's, and so, so when you, I was growing, I was growing up as with your dad having his restaurant and stuff, you, I, I would normally think that you'd be one of the people also working with them doing his restaurants and stuff. And, being a waiter or the bus boy or something. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I was, I mean, my titles were like growing up at this point, like, and I'm not saying like any child should ever work at a young age, but the, the beauty of having my parents put me to work really taught me a lot of things in terms of really getting some of my shit together. Mm. Like I was like a bus boy, a waiter, a cashier, their translator, essentially their business manager Ooh. at 17 because like they didn't understand some stuff mm-hmm. and in order to make sure they didn't get swindled by anyone, like I literally had to tell them what to do. Okay. Okay. And it's just kind of funny that you never went, went into being, you know, when your dad owned one of the restaurants, you taken over for it and stuff. I think it's like essentially like that cliche thing. Like you see in the movies, kids parents have like this legacy of doing something right. and they don't want to follow in those footsteps i think it's just like for me it was definitely that i love food look that was kind of like the one thing that brought my family together like we don't talk but the, the one time we were ever together was food in order to survive from my parents relied on food and the selling of it like of course i love it but i just don't think i can make a living off of it personally really well, that's, that's, that's an interesting point so going from so you going into before you went to Sac City stuff, you're still living in Fresno and Merced. You were into a lot of punk rock music. What, I was going to a lot of. Oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. No, I was say, what, what was that? The punk rock music that made you 
that that fueled your senses? What what was about the music that made you? Man, I was just an angry kid. The screaming, <laughs> the screaming just spoke out to me. That's all it really was. But you know, but if I'm gonna be completely honest, I just wanted to be a complete asshole to my parents because I was an angry kid. I didn't know how to like express myself. So the angry shit scared them. So it just like it was like cool. I'm just gonna scare them. But then, like, as I listened to it later on, everything, like, shit like The Clash, where they spoke out against the government and, like, all these other bands that, like, really, like, emphasized rebellion or the emo bands that were really big during my era of growing up, where they really touched on their own emotions and all that stuff. Like, they all spoke out to me. So, like, at first, I'm going to be completely 100% honest. It's definitely the shock factor, but then... It just like lyrically, it started speaking to me. Oh, okay, okay. Because you're a bit, you're eighty nine, baby, aren't you? Hmm. You're born eighty nine or ninety? No, nah, I was a nineties baby. Okay, like literally right on the cusp of the nineties. So, so you're so I'm saying the emo that you grew up with around what you're if you're nineties, then you basically your music that you really got into was in the two thousand two thousand ten yeah. era. So yep. that right there is just a just just the cause of that even that cause right there is that was what that was a lot of Fallout Boy a lot of um a lot of the new music the, the been, pop that's yeah. kind of the pop friendly stuff I was like <laughs> what, definitely kind of going into I mean you know how I am I was yes. I kept on like I'm something about the underground indie stuff kind of speaks yeah. to me well I love Fallout Boy that wasn't my main th- jam like oh, I was no, definitely no. listening. Yeah, I'm exactly, yeah, same thing. Same thing with um, with um, a lot of a lot of the punk bands and stuff. Uh, you so you bought a lot of records back in those days too. Um, true to nature of that era too. Okay. I was not buying shit. I was definitely <laughs> I was pirating the hell on everything. <laughs> true, true to being a Chinese person because we're known for like pirating the hell out of everything. We even do eco. We even like eco pirate plants yeah it's a thing if you watch like the <laughs> zach efron like yes. down earth documentary yeah. he even talks about us like eco pirating like certain potato strands and it's so bad wow. wow yeah so true to my cultural heritage i pirated everything <laughs> if there was a torrent if there was like a file for it out there on the darkest reaches of the internet you there you damn well know i was probably there pirating the hell out of it and that's wow. pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of that, so you've been, you've been, how many times have you been to China? Uh, let's see. About four times? Like five? I don't remember. It's, okay. It's been like, it's like in my teenage years. Like it's been a while now, like if I'm being honest. Okay. And then you still, you still keep in touch with the family up there and stuff or just mostly like, you know, just pass by like, hey, dad, how's everybody out there doing? Yeah, it's, I, I want to, like, I want to be on, I want to say it's the first one, but if I'm going to be completely honest, it's going to be the latter. <laughs> like, my Chinese is, like, while it's fluent enough to, like, get by with my parents and, like, right. other members of, like, the community here in the U.S., it's complete dog shit in China. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's kind of that, and then, like, you know, I didn't really grow up knowing them that well, so, okay. like, they're, like, I hate to say it, but background noise, like while I do check up on them or I'll send them like little things here and there, like on WeChat, which is like China's social media thing. Nice. 
like it's not like I don't talk to them that much like that. Okay. Okay. So so let's go let's go back into so you got to Sacramento State and you're so you were there from to your freshman all the way up to your um senior year or did you go somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it was all Sac State all the way. Okay. And live so you lived on campus and then lived off campus. So you've been in Sacramento for what, almost four, five, almost six years now, right? Yeah, it's about seven to eight years. Yeah, seven now. eight. Oh, yeah, well, you've been you've been in there for a while. So, how is the Sacramento lifestyle different from the the Central Valley lifestyle of um, Merced? <laughs> we're not going to say Merced. We're not going to make comparisons to Merced okay, because, like, I feel like any kind of <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say like any kind of comparisons to Merced. It's just apple and oranges, man. Like Merced is, is just home. its own little bubble that, like, it, it's so small town living. Yes, it's sir. just hot, weird for me to like really make that comparison. But would, would you have rather gone to Davis if you thought about it? Would you have rather gone to Davis? I mean, I know Davis has a small that kind of small town feel too. Would you? Rather yeah, but it was more of a college town. Like I know it's like, and I know it's like extremely weird for me to like say that Davis would have been probably a better choice for me than Merced, mm-hmm. even like though they're like the same city size. But it was Merced. I mean, it's a small town. It's definitely like kind of condensed in its own little bubble, whereas Davis, I feel like with, like, the large influx of students and education in there, like, I, it would have been more my scene. Okay. Unfortunately, okay. I was an idiot student, and I probably wouldn't have... <laughs> like, I'm going to be honest with you here. I, got, I don't think I would have survived in a quarter system. I was... He's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, we can't. No, 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 no. Football no. <laughs> was fun, but it was, like, I'm definitely... I was definitely, like, at that age, I was definitely one of those people who had way too much fun. Right. You know, so. <laughs> so so when you first got so when you first graduated you got with your friends and stuff and actually got your place and stuff what and you went out out to did you go out to see a, um uh, did you go out and see a lot of the um what was going on in the community first um before you graduated or like after you graduated like the it was definitely and everything it was definitely after like i was definitely insulated in my own world even when i was a college student if i'm going to be honest because i was just like busy just going to get drunk yeah and one of them like oh god it's going to sound super to say this but like honestly all i wanted at that time in my life was just to get drunk and get lucky with a girl that's really it i mean like (laughs) like any call typical like idiot kid i mean but like I, I honestly, obviously then, like at that time in my life, I was already left-leaning, but I wasn't sure where I was leaning towards. And I honestly did have a love of the arts, even though I was pirating everything. I love it. But like, yeah, like, and I think, but it was only after college that I like really discovered it because I was just like at work at the time. And I just listened to this and it's just, I go through rabbit, like some insane rabbit hole deep dives of the web and I just kind of found button poetry and like all these like vocal Sacramento stuff. And then that's, I think that's from how I personally got started. Okay. Was, wasn't the, any um, music start first or anything? It was more of the poetry started that got you interested in the community? Yeah. Like honestly it was because like I said, I was just so busy trying to get drunk Yeah. at like an earlier point in my life when I was here in Sacramento, I wasn't aware of what it's local art scene looked like. Because all I saw Midtown Sacramento for was, let's just get drunk and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really take into full appreciation, like, and I'm ashamed to say, like, I didn't really take into full appreciation 
of what it had to offer. But if I'm going to be all, totally fair with you, I don't think I could have fully appreciated it at that time in my life. Because, um, again, I was just kind of going through one thing. my wild, rampant phase, of essentially. So, But you get into it, you actually, as you said, you got into button poetry, and then you found you found spots in SAC that you love to hang out, you know, Luna's, uh, um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cafe. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's just so. What what made you more intrigued to go further into it and stuff with the poetry and stuff? On again, it kind of ties back with work. I mean, at work, there's a completely different Marvin that exists from what I'm like now in this current podcast. Mm-hmm. I have to be more restrained. I have to be really subdued per se, and it kind of is me taking a lot of shit from people so, so i can pay my rent and i was really unhappy with that part of me where a big part of my identity was go to work go home eat drink look forward to the weekends to drink hang out with friends and it was like it was kind of it was just depressing like if i'm going to be completely honest with you like my parents touted the idea of me getting an education going to get a job and living this quote unquote American dream. But like, it just honestly didn't feel like one. It felt literally, it was a waking nightmare for me. And like, it's just like, and I was questioning my existence like really badly. I, I can relate with that. I mean, I've, I've had that same, I've had that same feeling even when I got my bachelor's, I was like, okay, I've done all this uh, grueling time and stuff. And I put all this work in and then I get to the job, my first job, and it's like, okay, I've done it. I've got the American dream, right? And it's like, not even close. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think, like, I think, oh, God, I'm dating myself really badly oh, yeah. here, but it's, it's kind of like that. It's like that one scene in Fight Club where uh, Tyler is, like, explaining or explaining his quote-unquote backstory where he's going, yeah, so then what, Dad? Then what? Okay, do this. Okay, I did it. Now then what? All right, do this. Now, then what? And then, like, he finally gets to the point where he's like, okay, I got a job. Then what? Yeah. Literally, that's kind of how I looked at my life at yeah. that point. I was like, okay, so then what? Do Am I supposed to, like, do this? Am I supposed to get married like my parents want me to? Am I supposed to get a kid? Is that, like, really the definition of happiness? Like, I, like and that kind of causes an existential nightmare for me to, like, follow that little path. But I can say that we, we kind of went to somewhat the same path because... I came into um, the poetry side because I was working a nine to five, a nine to nine job, and just need a place to escape. And oh no, I totally out, get that. Yeah. And oh, that totally, my, I totally get that. That was my aim to to get away for it's you know it's, it's something I have. It's on a, it's on a Wednesday or it's on a Tuesday. Like you can come here. You know it's open till like freaking one or it's open till freaking ten. Go home. And then, you know, just then go do, you know, go get eat, sleep and <laughs> wait till the weekend and stuff and go to work the next morning. <laughs> oh, no, I totally get that. Like I, when we first met, I was actually going through that. Like I was yeah. like manning a project within my own company, like within the company I was working. Yeah. I was working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. nights, like literally 12 hour days. I was doing 60 hours. Dude, it was a wreck. I like. I think when you met me, I was wrecked. Like, like, it, <laughs> like mentally, I was always exhausted. I mean, I'm still mentally exhausted now, but mm-hmm. 
at that point when I was start, first starting and like, I had like no sense of how to like say no to my boss, dude, I was mentally exhausted. I literally would come to Luna's maybe an hour after work because it started at eight. Yeah. So I would come in at seven, just exhausted as all hell <laughs> and like get ready to do whatever piece. And then like, I would look, okay guys, I want to hang out more, but I really have to go because I got work at six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I, well, I work at I work at seven. I had to be up at five to get the two, tra- yeah. two trains and the two buses and the train. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, you were doing the light rail. Thing. Like, oh yeah, I don't even know what how I would have like managed that if I were me at that time. Like I was so painful. You would have managed. Right. <laughs> well, I would have found a way, but it wouldn't want to stop me from wanting to burn the town to the ground anymore. <laughs> there's a will, there's a way. Oh, <laughs> you totally, totally. Wake up. <laughs> But no, yeah. So, so you get into so you've had you've had several poems that you know really connected with a lot of people and stuff. Um, your dim sum poem. So, what is I forget what is the name of your dim sum poem? Uh, it's called "To Touch the Heart." So, the heart. Yes, that's right. yeah. So, dim sum. Like right now, what you're saying is literally in Chinese it means um, dim sum. Yeah. Dim means touch, and sum means heart. So, I just kind of like translated that to English. Okay. But, and, but that was the first that's been you know the first poem people have kind of ch- championed on you first yeah <laughs> yeah like i think that was kind of like when i was finding my groove like that was like the first poem where i started finding like my groove because like right. i like prior to that one i was kind of experimenting a lot and then that was kind of when that one was kind of when everything clicked for me but like i don't want to say like i found my groove entirely because i'm constantly still trying to experiment with what i'm trying to do okay but with that so with that poem itself as is the point of the champion it basically you basically started getting connected with a lot of food poems and oh god yeah <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> and people were kind of you've met you as you had a food poem mike had a food poem i had a food poem and it was just that the point of them just waiting for the food poems to come out like the food fight you. stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean okay okay in all fairness i understand why people like called me the food poem guy because i wrote literally two goddamn poems about food but like it was easy because like for me, like the way I write, I kind of look at it in the same way of how I have to explain things to my parents because like for like they have, because we live in such a bubble, I have to like use euphemisms or connect like normal everyday objects or everyday activities to explain the bigger picture for them. And when I was explaining my lo- the love of my culture and my family, food, like I said, food was like a big thing for us. Then the second poem was about a, cultural appropriation and i was like okay that's easy i can just make another food poem out of that and like fucking box myself in i feel like sometimes and i <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but the cultural appropriation poem that actually did kind of leveled you up to a lot of people i mean even guy like i said um andrew divide to look at you and stuff people saw that poem as kind of your as the next poem that moved you up into a, another level in the poetry oh totally totally yeah like i yeah, it totally did. Like, I remember when we went to uh, Oakland for Rich Oak, the Rich Oak Alchemy Slam. Yes. It was, like, our first time, and then, like, it generated such an uproar that while I didn't win, damn it, while I didn't win, close. <laughs> I was so close, but, but they fucking loved it. Like, they loved it. And I feel like, yeah, like, it, you're right. Like, it does, it definitely kind of was that, 
pushing off moment forwards where it wasn't just about like that comfortable thing for me. Mm-hmm. And, and the, you, and even as the poems have come through and stuff, you've had several poems. I mean, you had the poem about um, Spider-Man. Uh, you've had mm-hmm. this poem about your grandmother. You've had, you had several poems that you have brought out. Um, I think you also had one about uh, Phoenix and the rise mm-hmm. and fall of Phoenix. And you, it always, most of the poems I've noticed always acquired, um, it's always not a dramatic scene, but it's always something you really want to touch on, like, you know, your grandmother's death. You know, you want to touch on being, being an outside, being an outsider in a world full with the Spider-Man poem, being an outsider and people trying to know that you have a superpower, but no one, everyone still sees you, doesn't see you as this person bigger than that. You know, you, 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 always, you always try to see yourself in a, a different aspect to everything you've done. But it's always been something where even I always cherish you out saying that, you know, he got poems. You all just need to listen because it's, it's always funny when you come out, you you're, look like you have dead tired, but you're going to do these poems in progress because Toronto told me to get up there and do it. Yeah, no, totally. And I was like, no, and I'll forever have love for you. Like, you've probably been one of my bigger champions, like, in this whole thing. But I think it's also because, like, we, we see eye to eye in a lot of things, right. definitely. For, like, for sure, it's that but no yeah like and i i think like because like i write in the same way like i said like because i write in the same way how i have to explain things to my parents like specific wording or like the key like key lines get lost in the mix because i use a lot of imagery or like i generally genuinely like wordplay with like with simple words and i think a lot and like sometimes i feel like with the poetry scene like with the older crowd they love big words and if they don't hear something like really big like some 20 letter point on scrabble (laughs) like i feel like it doesn't click with them yeah that is true it does come to a complete change in their mindset but being that we were on the slam team, uh, as you know, we both we both standings, but no matter, mm-hmm. we were on the team with a backup. <laughs> we, <laughs> we we wanted to kind of set a different presence presence to to the group because we were the ones um, beyond just Brandon. We were the ones going out, or Brandon and um and um David. We were the ones going out of town. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, you know, yeah, that's not. I was about to say that's not fair, David. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. No, but no, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, we went to Oakland. I think, I mean, I feel like we would have got like prior to like COVID. I feel like we probably would have gotten farther if we could have found stuff that were like fit in with our schedules because like, yeah. I really wanted us to go to um, Root Slam, but yeah, dude, that was on a Wednesday. Yeah. Literally, that was, oh, it was a third, 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 third Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. 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 Third Thursdays. Dude. I could do it. Theoretically, I could go right. and do it, come back home at like 2 a.m. in the morning and just be dead tired at work on Friday. Like, yeah, I could, but that would be doing no one favors, I think. <laughs> I think I really um, wish I did do that once or twice. Yeah, I think I heard that, um, uh, who did it? Um, uh, David, and David went with, um, uh, um, Ro- um, oh, Jerome? Jero, yeah, you do. She did one with Jero. Yeah, I think I, I think they took also Jenny. I wasn't. I think it wasn't you. They, they knew. It was, I knew it was like three or four people went when they went. Yeah, that was kind of like the, when they were like when the slam. slam the yeah when the last line was going on. Yeah, 
And that was when they all went at one point. Yeah, I, I recall that. Yeah, I mean, I know we took Jenny one. We took Jenny to one of the Alchemy um, <laughs> one. That was interesting. I'm never gonna forget that one. <laughs> I'm never gonna forget that one at all. Well, I'm never gonna forget that one, and I'm also never gonna forget the one where we actually went and took Stacy G, and she won. So I loved it. I loved it. I love that Stacy <laughs> is just doing so great. Like, yeah. shout out to Stacy G. Like, she fucking kills it. <laughs> and like, dude, I love it because every time she goes up, she's like I'm so nervous and like this really like like cliche scared little Asian girl. Everybody looks at that because like she's so polite, she's so subdued in her emotion prior to like right. speaking out or going like when she rocks the mic. Yeah. No one sees it coming nope. at all, and I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we you know we met a lot of people. At the, I mean, we met um, Taryn Deep. She was out there and stuff, and met some yeah. other people and stuff. Yeah. But it's been it's it's always funny how we we've co- we connected together and also gone beyond just doing that. Doing, doing move, we do movies and other things, but it's still it's it's funny to me to you because you've been one of the people that I've actually um, gone behind when you started doing like comedy and when yeah, you did your, yeah, first, yeah. Um, your first open mic and stuff. And I was like, you're going to do an open mic. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go check it out. I, this would be interesting. I mean, yeah. Like I, like I said, I think like for me, like I'm still trying to find this medium, which I feel properly expresses myself. So like, I'm constantly looking for new ways of expression that I feel most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But you're, as you say, you're looking for expressions of, you do have, a large group of people of admirers who champion you called Team Marvin. And, oh, that, was, <laughs> and that was the first thing that even oh, did. Team Marvin with the t-shirts. <laughs> Dude, yeah. No, like, no, no. If there's one thing that I get boxed in for, I think that's probably one of my more prouder moments. And because like, purely because this was not of my doing. It was my um, first open mic night. And I'm like yeah. telling like my best friend at the time, like, Dude, I think I'm gonna do it because like we, uh, and there, you guys want to come like just see for like shits and giggles and see me fail and they're like yeah totally we'll do it and like they knew I was pretty serious about this poetry stuff because like I always was like oh dude this shit is so cool right. and like I love this and dude bless his wife's heart like his okay my bad like his girlfriend at the time now wife's heart mm-hmm. fucking. She supports all of our, everyone in our friend group to the fullest, does whatever she can to make everyone fucking happy. So, like, shout out, Mia. Love you. So, first night at open mic, starts at 8. I sign up, like, near the end because I'm super nervous. They haven't arrived yet. I'm nervous still. And they all finally show up, like, around, I want to say, 8.30 to 9. So, a little bit when mic night starting, just starting to ramp up and geared up. Right. And they're all wearing, like, jackets and shit in Lunas. And it's weird because, like, dude, it's stuffy. There's, like, maybe yeah. 30 people jam-packed in this little-ass um, venue. Yeah. How are you not hot? And this was, like, when we were all smoking still. Like, our like our group was still, like, smoking cigarettes and shit. Okay. So me and my best friend Matt at the time go outside for a cigarette because, like, he's seeing that I'm freaking out because, like, at the time, I'm like, and I'm, like, telling him outside, like, I'm ready. Look, look, I'm not ready for this. They don't know who I am. It doesn't matter. I'm out. That's it. I'm not doing it. Oh, if they call my name. Leave. Oh, dude. I, I thought I told you this. Uh, no, no, I was like, dude, you've seen how I was at first. I was super nervous. So I was like, <laughs> not ready for it. 
He's like, you can't leave. Why? Let's just go get a drink. <laughs> and he's like, and he unzips his jacket. And that's when I was like, dude, what the fuck? Why are you wearing a white t-shirt with my name on it? And he's like, me and I, V and, C- v and like all of our other friends spent all of last, night, last night and some of today stenciling Team Marvin onto white t-shirts. You're not allowed to leave <laughs> because I spent way too long with Mia doing this. If you w- even think about leaving, I'm going to tell the host, Jenny, that you're going up next because you're about to leave and I'm going to make a scene. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> that happens and the moment i like get up on stage not rocking the mic because i was still like nervous as hell at that time in my life they just like whip off their jackets and all like six people in team marvin shirts <laughs> and everybody who was still at the venue that didn't leave like look at them because like they're standing up with the fucking cell phones on and jenny's like cackling because she loves it so yeah team marvin was a thing <laughs> Jenny doesn't let me live that one down because I still have to get her a shirt. Jenny, if you're listening, I'll get you a shirt soon. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> but yeah. it's been a while. It's been yeah, it's been years. a while. It's been three years. It's been three years. I feel like she, like I feel like if I don't give her get her a shirt, I probably have to give her my firstborn child at this point. <laughs> you might take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like Jenny hasn't let me live that one down. No one's let me live that one down. But like I'm no, I'm happy that. <laughs> I don't think it had not been for Team Marvin, there probably would not have been Marvin the poet, Marvin the the creative who's trying to like explore his his life and like well, find ways of being creative. So, thanks, Team Marvin. And it's still going. I mean, it, it got you. It's to, going it's strong. Still, yeah, yeah. It still got got you into the comedy open mic when you went over to Stab Comedy and did the open mic yeah. there for the five minutes and. I, and I I keep trying to I tell you your suit your set was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, well, it's like I said. Like I go through bouts of like manic episodes where I just get like super uncertain with what I'm doing with life, mm-hmm. and I just kind of like withdraw and tortoise into myself mm-hmm. creatively. Like not that like I withdraw from people, but like it's just like I'm not sure what I'm doing because like I I know I understand that I have to pay rent, right. so I kind of like resign myself to being unhappy with work, but then. I want so badly to do something, but I don't have the time or energy to always work on a new process or a new piece or find new creative outlets because I'm just so drained. So I just implode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know all that French press you drink? <laughs> Yo, dude, that's, that's, that's a drug habit. <laughs> that requires a lot of time for me to myself on. <laughs> all right. All right. So here's the grandmother poem that Sharon has requested for everybody. This is called Afterlife. In a world filled with so much hate and prejudice, I've never seen anything as indiscriminate as cancer. I never once cared of your humble beginnings or the rise, your rise to greatness, thought second of your crossing an entire Pacific Ocean to get here, or that you used to toil all day long in the, the dirt to cultivate your garden. When the cancer Trojan horsed itself into tricking my grandmother's body that they belonged, I watched the wax flesh melt from her bones, witnessed the last flickering flames of her life extinguish itself as death. Death took it upon himself to embrace her with one final kiss that could only last forever. There was no bright beam of light to ascend her soul to the heaven, no feathered wings or golden halo to mark her next passage into life. All that she got was just smoke and incense. See... 
the Chinese hold on to the belief that of ancestral worship, the idea that death does not mark your absence in this world, that it's just your next phase, that when your body goes, your spirit remains in the world, guiding your descendants. All that you will ever need to get into the afterlife is just the effort of your love, of putting into your loved ones, knowing that the, you they are loved, reaching out to feel the warmth. And if I close my eyes just hard enough and strain my ears, I can still hear my grandmother's last voice whispering themselves from beyond the grave, saying that this this isn't my final goodbye. This isn't even the final stop for me. My tongue or your tongue has not been able to lay itself thick enough to pronounce some of our words properly, but I, I have taught you love and compassion all throughout your life. I and forever in all that you do. There will be no need to bloody your knees from hours of prayer to feel my arms wrapped around your shoulders as you blow out the candles on your fourth birthday. You will not need to burn me in any incense to see the vision of my smiling figure. No point in reciting Buddhist mantras to hear my laughter pierce the void in your heart. I am immortal in all that you are, all that you do, and alive in all that you touch. This this is how you gain eternity, not through the fervor of your beliefs or the zealousness of your prayers. It is right here, right now. Continue these lessons that I have taught you, and your laughter, too, can be heard beyond the deafening sounds of silence when your time comes. It will be the, it will be the shattering of windows, or it will be your laughter that shatters windows, shape the foundation of the house you raise future generations in. This is how you become forever, knowing that one day your chest will be the only pillow needed for someone else's head to lay itself upon. After a long day, your arms, the only shelter of warmth to keep the cold world at bay. It is the heaven in your hellos and the hell in your goodbyes. I have given you the blueprints to becoming a god. Continue my lessons now, and you too will become immortal. That concludes part one of our two-part interview. For more information, please go to linktr ee slash iambic zine. I-A-M-B-I-C-Z-I-N-E. Thank you.